Peace I give you, peace I leave, my forgiveness, take and eat. This is my body given for you, take and
Good evening, folks. It's uh, time for our midweek Bible study. And uh, I want to ask you to go ahead and find the book of Galatians on Wednesday nights. We've been journeying through the book of Galatians. And we're actually in chapter 5 tonight. And we're looking at the blessing and demand, uh, blessings and demands of freedom. The blessings and demands of freedom. From Galatians chapter 5, while you find your place in your copy of God's Word, let me, let me also uh, just let you know that tonight I'll be reading from the NIV text. And so if you have an NIV Bible, uh, you may want to locate that so you can follow along. Please continue to pray for two of our church members who are in the hospital with COVID-19, uh, Bart Deese and Dave Phillips. Uh, both of these gentlemen have struggled very much. Uh, Bart was very critical at times and seems to be getting much better. That's a tentative uh, update. Uh, please continue to pray for the Deese family, also for the Phillips family. And there may be others that you are aware of on your own personal prayer list. Well, let's find Galatians chapter 5. Notice how Paul begins. He says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised, that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Father, we pray tonight that you would open our understanding to your word. This is your word, and your word abides forever, and it will not return unto you void. So God, through the power of your spirit, I pray that you would open our eyes, open our ears, open our minds and our hearts to your truth, because your word is truth. Lord, help us to understand more about the freedoms that we have in Christ, but also the obligation we have to go on and live a life 
of sanctification, growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord. Father, we want to pray for those families in our church who are suffering right now, for the Phillips family, for the Deese family. We pray, God, that you would undergird them and that for Dave and Bart both, you would be Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals, that you would touch their bodies, drive this virus from their bodies, give their doctors wisdom from above to know all of the proper steps to take at the proper time. And we pray that very soon both of these men would be reunited with their families, their friends, their loved ones. We pray for others in the church who need our prayers. We pray for the young people at Snowbird that you would continue to use this week in their lives, that it would be a turning point as they're in your word, in fellowship with one another, and in prayer. God, that you would do a mighty work in their lives, that they would come back more renewed than ever before to pick up their cross, to deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow after Jesus. Lord, help them to continue to be an example to the body of Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the commentators I had turned to in preparing uh, this passage spoke about growing up on a farm in the northern part of the United States and going through bitter cold winters. He spoke of calves that would be born in the wintertime. They would be kept in the barns, maybe let out for just a small amount of time each day, just in the fenced area right around the barn. But they were kept in the barn because of how cold it was and how young they were. He said when the weather would warm, uh, the calves, you could sense it. They were restless to get out into the fields and, and run and play. And so they would open the gates so they could take off. Well, when they'd open the barns and, and let the calves out, they would stay in that area around the barn. And they would go up to the gate and they would kind of sniff around and they would draw back. And they would run some around the barn. They'd go back up to the gate that would open into the vast fields. They'd sniff at it. They wanted to go out into the open so bad, but they would draw back, run around a little while. This would continue for some time until finally they had got up the courage to go through the gate and to go out into the pastures. And once they did, he said it was, it was really fun to watch them the way they would play and run and, and jump around in the open fields. What a great illustration or analogy of the verses that we look at tonight. Now, we're, we're in the third main section. We, we start the third main section of the book of Galatians. After defending his apostleship and the message that he preaches, what was that message? Justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's what he's been preaching. And so after defending his apostleship and this message that he preaches, preaches Paul's going to move on in the last two chapters of the book to talk about how faith is carried out in everyday life and all of the implications that that has for a, a, a believer in Christ. 
Far from bringing an invitation to sin in a believer's life, justification by faith brings us to the point that we are now free to live in sanctification. Grace does not give us license to sin. Grace gives us license that now we can, we can move on and grow to become more and more conformed to the image of Christ. But before he gets into all of that, once again, he wants to put a nail in the coffin of works righteousness. Now again, for those who may not be clear about the earlier chapters of Galatians, just let me briefly summarize. On his first missionary journey, Paul had gone through the region known as Galatia. He had preached the gospel as we've been looking at week to week. And as he's preaching the gospel, he is also recuperating from an illness. We don't know what this illness was, this thorn in the flesh. Scholars speculate, and I assume that speculation will go on until Christ returns. One of the guesses, and again, this is just a guess, one of the guesses has been malaria. And some of the reasons being that um, malaria was known in the Pamphylia region of Galatia. It was a warm, moist, coastal region. And there are times when malaria can affect the eyesight. And uh, there's some indication in the book of Galatians, maybe Maybe Paul's eyesight was his thorn in the flesh. Again, folks, I emphasize this is speculation. But, you know, Paul talks about the Galatians would have ripped their eyes out for him if they could and see what large letters I'm writing with. Just some indications. Maybe his eyesight was affected. So, again, some just speculate maybe he'd come down with malaria. And, you know, we can treat malaria today with different drugs that, that uh, helped get rid of the parasites, but in Paul's day, they would have just had to suffer through various cycles of malaria when it would get active in your body and then it would sort of go into a time of suppression. But, but again, we just don't know. But we do know that Paul was very ill at times in his ministry. He had been ill while ministering to the Galatians. Uh, after Paul left that area, some Judaizers had followed quickly on his footsteps. Who were the Judaizers? They were Jewish legalists. Some of them were at least sympathetic with the message of Christ, and yet they tried to say that faith in Christ alone wasn't enough. You needed more. You needed to keep all of the demands of the law with circumcision. Remember, circumcision was the sign of the covenant. So you needed to keep all the demands of the law and observe the sign of the covenant, circumcision, and add that to Christ, that Christ was not sufficient to save alone. He needs our help. That's the false gospel that the Judaizers have been preaching to the Galatians. And Paul has been responding to that false gospel chapter after chapter, and he continues to do so. 
You know, the Judaizers even misunderstood the law from the Old Testament. The, the law was never intended to save. The law points out our sin and our need and drives us to grace. So they haven't even, the Judaizers haven't even understood the purpose of the law. And now they're trying to say that on top of Christ, you need the law. You need to add law and circumcision to be saved. And so he's been battling against this throughout the whole letter. The first thing I want you to see that he points out tonight, the freedom of the gospel. Look at verse 1 again. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by yoke of slavery. Right away, Paul points out that Christ freed us from all the demands of the law. At the cross, Jesus took upon himself all of our sin, all of the curses of disobedience to the law, and he died in our place as God's perfect sacrifice. He became our substitute. And he was the only one that could because only he had perfectly kept all of the demands of the law. And so all the demands of the law were taken care of in the death of Christ. For the one who trusts in Christ and Christ alone, sin has been taken care of. It's been forgiven. Christ has died for our sins, past, present, and future. That's the good news of the gospel, so that we're now free in Christ, free to live in righteousness. And you know, instead of standing before God guilty, we know that we will stand before God clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He is our advocate before the Father. Paul says, this being the case, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit once again to a yoke of slavery, a yoke of bondage. The law produces slavery. Because the law said you had to keep every jot and tittle of the law. If you break the law even at one point, the Bible says you're guilty of sinning against the whole. And so if you're trying to be justified by the law, first we need to see that that would be impossible because no one but Christ has kept all of the law. And secondly, I would want you to see how oppressive that would be. It would be a yoke of slavery. Christ broke that yoke. And he invited people, take my yoke upon you. So Paul's ad, ad, admonition here is that we would, uh, we would enjoy this new status that we have before God that Christ has made possible for us. We stand now in forgiveness. We stand in freedom. And so we need to make certain that we're standing firm. The Galatians needed to understand that the message of the cross was good news. It was good news from God. Anywhere today where men are living under a religious code, you know, there's always this question, have I been good enough? Have I fulfilled the code? Am I obeying it? 
fully. Will God accept me? But with the gospel, God accepts those in Christ because he accepts Christ and the sacrifice Christ made in our behalf. And so the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I I hope you can see it is very good news. It is a message of forgiveness and freedom and peace with God. It is a message that we need to stand firm in. Second thing Paul talks about. He moves on in verses 2 to 6 to talk about the bondage of the law. Paul makes it clear to them, if they turn back to circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to them. Paul is convinced if somebody turns back, it's a very real likelihood that they were not a believer in Christ to begin with. It's not that they were saved and then they became lost. They had never really understood the, 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 the gospel, the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. They never truly understood that and experienced freedom in Christ. And so that's why they turned back to the old way that they're more familiar with. And Paul points out you can't have it both ways. You can't strive to be justified by the law on the one hand, including circumcision, and then on the other hand, by Christ too. Because Christ is the end of the law. He fulfilled the law. You can't have it both ways. Christianity isn't about trusting in yourself and the law and human works and merit and circumcision. You know, you you trust in human merit Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, so to speak, and then you're going to trust Christ the other days of the week. How ridiculous that would be. Christ died to fulfill the demands of the law. And so it can't be both. You've got to decide. You've got to make a choice. One way necessarily invalidates the other way. Either your religion is going to be one that consists of you trying to save yourself or your religion is going to be faith in Christ and Christ alone. So again, it can't be both. You know, as we look around the world today, it's the same. We see how different Christianity is from the religions of the world. If you look at the religions of the world, so many of them have some type of human code or expectation in them that I've got to do this and that. You know, some even have the idea if I stand before God on the day of judgment and I have more checks in the good column than the bad column, God might perhaps save me. And the more good that I do, you know, the better I make my chances on the day that I face God's judgment. That's what so many of the religions of the world say. But you know, that's not Christianity. Christianity is trusting solely in the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Christ alone. Grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So in verse 2, Paul is stating that there has to be a choice, one way or the other. 
they were saying, okay, let, let's do this. Let's just add Christ to circumcision. But again, Paul says, no, trusting in circumcision even one bit would mean that you are invalidating the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, you know, truly not that we can invalidate Christ because he stands validated before God as God's means of salvation. But what Paul means is that in your life, if you were trusting in circumcision, it is as though Christ and what he did for your salvation would be invalidated. And so not only will Christ be of no advantage to you whatsoever if you trust circumcision, but also you would then have to go on to obligate yourself to doing the impossible. You would have to perfectly live out the demands of the law. And so Paul says, you would be severed from Christ. You would be severed, alienated. Christ would be of no effect for you. You have fallen from grace in effect, is what he's saying. Folks, Paul is appealing to them. He's pointing out, I, I, I want you to really understand what's involved in these two different ways of salvation. One is not a way of salvation. Christ is a way of salvation. Is the way. Christ is the way of salvation. So you have to move on in Christ and Christ alone. It's like Paul is telling to them, telling them, if you side with the Judaizers, I want you to understand what is at stake. You're putting yourself in a very dangerous place. Again, the same is true today for anybody trusting in anything else other than Jesus Christ. You need to understand the consequences of that. Now, in verses 5 through 6, Paul is simply going back to our first point that we made, speaking of the freedom of the gospel. Through the Spirit, by faith, we wait eagerly for our hope of righteousness where neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. So we're free. We have this tremendous hope that we're waiting for. Meanwhile, you who want the law, you have this huge burden, this bondage, this weight on your shoulders that you're going to have to carry around with you. And that's no way to live. A third point I want you to see tonight. The danger of false teachers. He speaks of that in verses 7 through 12. Paul is perplexed. He thought they understood the gospel. Now he wonders. This confusion is not from God. They have not obeyed the truth. You see, the law itself, as we've been looking at in previous weeks, the law itself even condemned itself. The law never set itself up as a justifier of men. The truth taught all through the Bible is very consistent. The law very clearly pointed toward a sacrifice. The sacrifices pointed towards a perfect sacrifice. The truth of the Bible is so clear. The new covenant 
flows naturally out of the Old Covenant. The New Covenant fulfills the Old Covenant. It's this one gigantic unifying theme that runs all through the Bible. The writer of the book of Hebrews would even tell us that now that we're in the New Covenant, God's not dealing with people anymore on the basis of the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant is obsolete. God is dealing with people on the basis of the New Covenant. The New Covenant instituted through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We celebrate that every Lord's Supper. As verse 8 says, the way that the Judaizers have been trusting in circumcision, they, they've not even been honoring, as I said a moment ago, they've not even been understanding properly or obeying properly the Old Covenant. They're not honoring the law. They're forsaking what even it taught. And he says here in verse 8, that's not from God. And as verse 9 points out, Paul says it only takes a little leaven to leaven the whole lump of dough. What he's saying, one false teacher set loose in the church can cause huge damage and huge problems. And what Paul is saying here, essentially, this is what the Judaizers are doing. They've turned away from God's truth and consequently they are like a disease that is spreading through the body of Christ. They are like a cancer that is growing and spreading throughout the body of Christ. Folks, that's the danger of false teaching. You see, it matters what we believe. There's a danger in false teaching. One person is led astray by it then two, then four, then eight. Finally, you've got a whole group within the church. Pretty soon, the whole church might end up going astray or splitting. And that's why if someone is teaching who starts going astray in their doctrine, a church body has to deal with that person. They need to be invited to repent of teaching false doctrine but if they won't repent, they have to be removed from that position and even removed from the church. Now, as we continue in verse 10, I want you to see that despite Paul's perplexity and the previous comments where it seems like he truly questions if they're really converted or not, verse 10 seems to show that, that he has a steadfast hope that while the Galatians have been thrown a curve by the Judaizers, in the final analysis, I think he believes that they are eventually going to come back around to the truth of the gospel. Now, we can only hope that that was indeed the case. Verse 11 clues us into an approach that the false teachers were using. Evidently, some of them were even trying to convince the Galatians that Paul himself agreed with them, agreed with the Judaizers, agreed with teaching the necessity of circumcision. And Paul says, that doesn't even make sense. That's not even rational. 
if I was preaching what they are preaching, then why would they be opposing me? Why would they be persecuting me? The opposition that the Judaizers had to Paul and, and to the gospel he was preaching should prove to the Galatians that Paul was not preaching the same message as the Judaizers. The Judaizers were taking offense by the cross or taking offense in the cross. But if Paul was teaching the same thing as them, there would be no offense. But as it stands, the Judaizers were taking offense at Paul's message of the cross. Now let's think about that phrase for a moment. Let, let's think of the offense of the cross. I want to suggest a couple of reasons as to why the message of the cross is an offense. And it continues to be. First of all, it's an offense because it deals a death blow to man's pride. You see, men want to believe that somehow or another there's something they can do to bring about their own justification, their own reconciliation with God. They want to do something and put God in debt to them to save them. I suppose it's a pride thing. Look at what I've done. I deserve salvation. In reality, no, we don't deserve it. But the pride of man wants to think we deserve it. The cross comes along, though, and, and it says there is no amount of good works that you can do to save yourself. It's not about you at all. It's all about Jesus and what he's done. And that's an offense to man's pride. I think another way that the cross was offensive to the Jews of Paul's day was the law in some measure, they would have thought, would give the Jew a leg up on the rest of the world. Now, again, this was not what the law was intended to do. The Jews were supposed to be a light to the world. But they viewed the law as, you know, belonged to just them. They, they were God's children, which they were. They were in covenant with God. Uh, those, who had, those who were true sons of Abraham and had believed God, they were in covenant with God. But it was meant to turn their attention also to others, being a shining light to the nations. But they began viewing it in a very closed way that salvation belonged only to them and the rest of the world, the Gentile world, was going straight to hell. They were the chaff that God was going to blow away on the day of judgment. Well, the cross comes along and it takes human merit out of the equation, takes bloodline out of the equation. Because in the gospel, the gospel points out, as Paul very clearly does in the first three chapters of Romans, that we are all guilty. The Jew is guilty and the Gentile. Both are guilty. The, the, the gospel preaches the same message to everybody, Jew and Gentile. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
And so maybe that pride and heritage or that pride and bloodline that, that the Jew might have had, the gospel of Jesus Christ takes that pride away. It points out that the Jew needs Christ just as much as the Gentile does. And again, that was offensive to many of the Jews. You can imagine the offense that the religious leaders took to Jesus. When Jesus looked at those leaders and he said the tax collectors and the prostitutes are getting into the kingdom of heaven ahead of you. That enraged them. And so again, the cross was offensive. Because the message that Paul preached included the offense of the cross, Paul says that in itself is proof that I'm not preaching the same message that the Judaizers are preaching. The message of the Judaizers promotes the flesh. The message I preach discounts the flesh. He finally concludes by saying of those promoting circumcision, I just wish they would go ahead and castrate themselves. Strong words. Now, let's go over some lessons tonight in closing. Lesson number one, Christ brings a freedom that the law can never produce. Christ brings a freedom that the law can never produce. Secondly, those set free by the gospel must continue to live by the gospel. As Paul said to the Romans, quoting from the Old Testament book of Habakkuk, the just shall live by faith. Those set free by the gospel must continue to live by the gospel. A third lesson. Salvation cannot be by self-effort and Christ work at the same time. The two are mutually exclusive. You can't add the two together. You can't have the thinking in mind that I'm going to do the very best that I can do to try to earn my salvation. I'll trust in Christ too, and on the day that I stand before the Lord, God will add those two together, the best I've done and the best Christ done has done, and he'll add those two together, and I'll be justified. No, it's not that at all. We will stand by Christ and Christ alone. So we need to see how mutually exclusive a message about human works and the law is with the message of Christ alone. A fourth lesson and a final lesson tonight. The cross is an offense to man's pride down to this very day. Now, I'll assume I'm talking to those tonight that are trusting in Christ and Christ alone. If I'm not, then I would admonish you to look to Christ and Christ alone. Everything that Christ did for you, trust Him alone for your salvation. There is no salvation apart from Christ. He said, I am the way, 
the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Trust Him alone to save you. To those who have trusted Him, I would simply say, keep trusting Him. Be reminded daily of the good news of the gospel that God has done for you in Christ what you could never do for yourself. God bless you. I hope the rest of your week is, is, is good and that God gives you opportunity to share your faith in Christ with others. Have a good evening. Is for everyone to stand for